I was seven years old. I had been out for about 45 minutes on Halloween night. I had a very strong pillowcase that was now full of candy. I came rushing into the house, panting. I emptied the bag on the floor, and I started to leave again. My, my grandmother said, well, where are you going now? I said, there's more houses out there. I, I have more work to do. I, I thought of that when you were talking about the trunk or treat. That would be so convenient. I, I got so much exercise that night many, many years ago, and just to get one trunk to another, I think I'll come. I'm, and I'm going to bring a pillowcase. Anyway, enough of that. You know, the story that uh, Kim just read for us, it's, I see it like a scene in a play. You read through the, the whole spectrum of, of acts, and you go from one story to another, to another, to another. The church is being persecuted. You know, the Gospels were all about Jesus, his experiences, his encounters with people, how they responded to him. And now Acts, Jesus has been resurrected, and the apostles are being spread all over the countryside out of persecution. Philip is one of those. And this particular story is of an encounter that, that he had. It's a fascinating story. And, you know, I'm an old English major, and there, there's a principle when you're reading literature or writing, you, you have to suspend disbelief. You have to get into the story in order to get the point of it. You don't argue about the details. You take the story as it comes, and you read it, and you benefit by it, and uh, believe it. So what's being said? Well, what does it mean? Well, what difference does this make for us? And then why do you suppose the author, Luke, we believe, why do you suppose the author included this particular vignette, this act of the play in the book of Acts? As we said, stories like a play. There are three characters in this particular section. There's Philip, of course. There's the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's the Holy Spirit. Let's take them each one at a time. Philip is one of the apostles. He is being spread out over the region just like the others. And one of the things we learn about Philip early on is that he did what he was told by God. He heard, whatever that was actually like, but he had this clear impression that he was to go to this wilderness road, not to some big city, but to a wilderness road, uh, probably lonely, probably not many travelers. Maybe that's why the Ethiopian was there, because it wasn't well-traveled. But he did what he was told, got up and went. And then when he got there, the, the spirit indicated, oh, go talk to this guy. Go up to the chariot. So he ran up to the chariot. He didn't just walk up, he ran up. And he listened and heard the Ethiopian man talk, read scripture out loud. And he spoke to him and said, you know, do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't. I need a guide. Well, I could help you. 
and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. He interpreted the Old Testament in light of who Jesus was and what he had done. Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ministry, he put it all into context for this man. And then this man is so, let's say, enthusiastic that as they were talking about this, putting it all into context, they must have talked about baptism, of course. And uh, the Ethiopian man said, oh, here's water. What's to prevent me from doing this now? Well, no, that's, we love that kind of attitude. <laughs> we should all be so enthusiastic. But he, uh, they stopped the chariot, they got down, they went into the water, and the Ethiopian was baptized. Now, one of the important things is that there is nothing that precluded this man from being baptized. Interesting the way he asked the question, well, what would prevent me from doing this? As if there might be some things that could prevent me. But there wasn't. Even though he was Ethiopian, racial identity, no, that didn't, that didn't bother. He was a eunuch. He had his sexual identity that was troubling for some, but not for Philip. He was uh, from Ethiopia, he had this national identity and that didn't preclude him at all. But uh, he was able to, to baptize him. So then Philip was snatched away. Uh, he left and the Ethiopian didn't see him. And he found himself in other places where he had new opportunities to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. Now this Ethiopian is an interesting man. He had traveled from Ethiopia where he lived and worked and where his uh, home was to Jerusalem. He made this effort, it was really important to him, to worship in Jerusalem. Other than that, we don't know anything about his background, but he was interested in worship and he found Jerusalem was the place to do that. As he was returning home, he still was confused about a number of things. And thus he was reading the Old Testament there. And as he was seated and reading, he realized uh, he couldn't understand without a guide. Maybe he had been praying for someone to help him understand, but there Philip appeared and had the information, had the perspective, had the acceptance that this man needed. So he invited Philip to join him. They talked probably for some time and they read together uh, the Old Testament. Now, the Ethiopian had asked for clarification and it ended up, ended up being illuminating for him that this was actually the truth and related to Jesus Christ and sounded like his own life. He ended up with identification. He could see himself in the Christ story. In a sense, he's saying, well, this sounds like me. You know, here is this, this person uh, who was struggling and uh, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb silent before its shearer. And so he doesn't open his mouth. He perhaps didn't have a voice for his own identity, his own self, where he was from. He, he felt less than. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And there's something about Jesus in his suffering that this man could actually identify with. His identity, his struggles, his feeling 
other in his own home country uh, made him open to the message about Christ. Now Christ didn't stop there. He died, he rose, he uh, provided the power for living that we all need today. After they came up out of the water, he was baptized. Even though Philip was gone, he was rejoicing because now he not only heard the truth, he understood it and he responded to it and had Philip's acceptance along with the experience of being baptized and the acceptance into the, com into the community. So he came to worship hoping. He left for home a bit confused. And then after he was baptized, after Philip left, he was rejoicing. He wasn't saying, where is this guy who was just here? He was saying, God, thank you that this man did come and provided what I needed for the next step of my journey. The third character is the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Spirit is presented here as someone who speaks, guides, uh, helps us understand. He said, go to this isolated area, Philip went. Uh, he said, go join the Ethiopian. Philip ran up to him and, and did that. And after the baptism, the Spirit snatched Philip away, directing him to other places where he could minister as well. Next steps, new opportunities, always something more. Now the question again is why, why did the author include this story? This one act play with these three characters with a rather interesting backstory. The spirit is actually the central character. Again, in the gospels, Jesus was the central character. And now in the book of Acts, the apostles are leaving and traveling and preaching and loving and caring for people through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit motivates, the Holy Spirit directs. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding. The Holy Spirit inspires our belief and empowers our actions. Really, the Holy Spirit is creating the church, helping us to grow and energizing our giving and serving for others. Secondly, our response isn't merely believing in the words, not just believing within our own minds. It's not just an intellectual thing. We experience emotions in our hearts, but it's not just that either. It's actually as we act on what we believe the Spirit is indicating for us to do. We go, we speak, we reach out in faith, we offer support to one another, we actually do the things that God wants us to do. Now, some people pray for faith. They pray for the ability to believe. Other people pray for an emotional response. But the prayer that we can all pray is, Lord, will you indicate to me what you want me to do next? You know, rather than saying, I've come to love someone, I've come to feel love for someone, well, before those things even happen, Lord, what loving actions would you like me to take? Where do you want me to extend myself for the sake of someone else? And in those actions, actually our emotions and our thoughts are even changed. We often begin with our actions, not out of duty, but out of response to God's spirit. The third 
reason I believe this is included is because it reminds us that all are welcome. We, we say that, you know, welcome, beloved. That includes you, me, others who might come in the door. God doesn't limit us. At times we limit ourselves, but God doesn't do that. Nationality, race, position, sexual experience, or identity, personality, none of these things preclude us from being part of this community, part of God's church. So in short, we're saying yes, all of us uh, together. And there are three prayers that I'd offer for us this morning. One is, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's how we find our purpose. Lord, what do you want me to do? You indicate that to me. You place it on my heart. Give me something very, very simple. Start simple. Start small. And as we follow what we believe God is telling us, other doors will open up, other opportunities, other vision. But Lord, what do you want me to do? And then, Lord, who do you want me to love? Now, take just a moment, each of us. Close your eyes if that helps. But think of someone that you find it challenging to love right now. For some, it could be someone in our own families or our neighborhood or someone at work or someone we hear about on the news. But preferably someone you have contact with. Lord, it's challenging for me to love this person. Matter of fact, it's challenging for me to even like this person. They may be so different from me. What is it you want me to do in response to them? What would you want me to say? What would you want me to offer? What would you want me to write in a text or a note or an email? What would you want me to invite them to? A, a coffee? or a breakfast, or just an opportunity to talk. Lord, who do you want me to love? Now, if someone has come to mind, well, you already have your assignment for the week. Uh, but but that, that kind of obedience, it's not like a huge thing, it's a specific thing. It's the people we already know and are challenged by their personality, their values, it's different than mine, whatever it is, find yourself becoming generous instead of withholding. See what happens. And then thirdly, Lord, we open ourselves to you and to your spirit. Now, I, I see this as, you know, uh, Dick Leiter in, in his book, Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old?, has, has three things, and those are the three things we're mentioning right now. First is, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to love? But the third is, how do you want me to respond to the challenges in my life? My, we'll call it suffering. Uh, the things that I do, they're so important. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's out of my control. How will I respond to those things? Where will I find the ability to realize God's presence, to trust him, and to allow him to give me the strength to face whatever it is. Those are the ways that we find our purpose in life. And I think Philip has found his purpose, the Ethiopian has found his, and the Holy Spirit continues 
to help us find ours. Amen.